Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. This week, my guest is Dan Enders, who you might know from Twitter as the dude who makes me dinner. He's also almost always the person I'm talking about when I say, I was just having a conversation with someone about this on the show. But more importantly, he's a compulsive game designer with his microgame The Bite recently available online. Pod pals Rich and Jeff recently played it on Jeff's show, Party of One, and it's a real good episode. Rich cries, you guys. This episode, though, is about a fan hack of the Cryptozoic Deck Builder engine, or Cerberus system, that Dan has been working on feverishly and has started sharing a bit about online. So, if you're a fan of Deck Builders, or Dragon Ball, or throwing shade at card games, this one's for you. At some point in the show, I mentioned that this is our first non-RPG episode, which is just blatantly untrue. It's not even our first card game episode. However, uh, I have been sick for nearly a month now, so please forgive my ineptitude. I do hope to do more shows about card and board games, though, as best we can in an audio format. So if you have any thoughts on that or on this episode, you know where to find me. Let's get to the show. Joining me this week is, it's Dan Enders, who... Dan, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and where people might know you from other than being my boyfriend? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I got downgraded. I'm I'm boyfriend. Uh, you're my my child bride, Dan Enders. <laughs> yeah, I'm Dan. Uh, you probably know me from uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm at Dan NRL. See, that comes at the end of the show. Nobody wants to know where to find you yet. They want to know where they already know you from. Okay. Um, what, what, what did you make? You made some stuff recently. I, I did. I uh, I made I made the bite uh, a little micro role playing card game about um violence and the decision to kill a companion in a zombie apocalypse that got a little bit of buzz on on twitter uh people aren't very uh happy that i made it because it's a sad game for miserable people <laughs> and um i will not play my own game because it is sad yeah you you also i don't know um this is probably going up this week so Depending yeah. on the timing, you may also know me from, uh, I was in an episode of, sort of episode of One Shot that was just unlocked on their Patreon, uh, the Headspace character creation. So nice. if, uh, if I was able to come through on that, cause I know, uh, James yelled at me for being too far away from my microphone. Um, if you can hear me on that, uh, you might know me from there. And, um, possibly even, um, an Overwatch stream with One Shot or, uh, just being killed by me on Overwatch in general, uh, with the same name as my Twitter handle. So if I shot you as Soldier76, I'm sorry. The, so the Bite is the first game that you've published, put up on, on DriveThru. Uh, but you you sit in the other room and you make a lot of games. Like, yeah. That, um, that's a thing that happens. <laughs> so so technically, I was thinking about this today, um, how, we, how I would talk about myself, because I hate talking about myself, and um, how I would talk to you about game, making games. And, uh, I guess if you really want to, um, to dive into it, like, I've been designing games since, probably since I was like 10. Um, the, the, one of the first games I remember making was, um, I wish, I really wish I could remember how we did it, but, uh, all the kids had Pokemon cards and, um, my mom being, you know, super cool said that, you know, we finally talked her into letting us buy Pokemon cards. 
So we drove to the Rite Aid, and having never bought Pokemon cards, we didn't know what we were looking for, and wound up buying packs of trading cards uh, that weren't the, like, trading card game. So we just had, like, those, like, thick cardboard cards that are screenshots of the show. Um, and I remember trying to come up with, like, a way to play with them. Like, oh, what does a picture of a Porygon and its, like, height and weight stats do versus a screenshot of like when misty got her togepi what's that do um so i clearly can't remember what we how we actually played with our cards because we probably didn't do something anything uh anything good but on and off um just growing up like i would look for any excuse to try to make games out of the things i like and i think technically the first game i published was probably when I was like 17, I put up a few games on Board Game Geek, which you could probably still find. And I've been trying to delete my Board Game Geek account since then, um, because <laughs> here I am as a, you know, uh, idiot 17 year old, and I'm like, I'm a game designer. I made a game about building little Lego superheroes in a city and rules on how to blow it up. And I, uh, I, I you know, immediately after publishing, it's like, why did I do that? I can't change that little tag on my name. I'm not a game designer. Who the hell do I think I am? Yeah, so if you went and looked me up, you could probably find there's that's probably up there. I made a a one player micro game uh that was a riff on Metal Gear Solid. Uh that that's probably still there and I think I made another game about pirate ships with Legos. That might be up there too. So if I haven't been scrubbed from the internet or uh my account hasn't been deactivated for not being used because I've been too embarrassed to log into it. Uh, you might still find some some old games I made as a kid. <laughs> awesome. Now we have to definitely go look for that. <laughs> um, we just need to know what your screen name was. Uh, oh, that one. I'm not going to tell anybody. It's okay, super that's, difficult. That's probably smart. I like that the first game that you published is a card game, and the the game that you've published most recently is a card game, um, and the game that we're going to talk about today is a card game. I think you might like card games a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> which which is hard. Um, first of all, so this is this is the first non-role-playing game uh, we've talked about on Modifier. We're kind of easing into that board game space, uh, and we started with a, a genre of tabletop game that um, I, I don't super love, <laughs> but is 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 a thing that you really like. I would hesitate to even say that you like it. <laughs> like I, uh, I say, not really love is kind of putting a good spin on it. I mean, we like to keep things positive. That's, <laughs> that's how we're going to look at it. Um, card games are difficult. Yes. I feel like that is your game of choice, if I were to guess. And the game that we're talking about is you have been working on a fan deck builder. Yeah, you've taken an existing system and you are making a fan game out of it. This this episode is actually a lot like uh, one of the earlier episodes that we did um, when I was talking to Cat and Richard about his hack uh, Mass Effect. He hacked the Star Wars game to, yes. to be more Mass Effect. So this is you've taken an existing system and you've made it Dragon Ball. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I can hear I can hear all the people turning off their podcast now, uh, <laughs> because uh, oh man, not a role playing game, and oh man, oh Dragon Ball, oof, yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. So this is the episode where we get canceled. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, just why I picked card game in general. Uh, yes. 
And before we tackle the whole other whale of why Dragon Ball. Yeah, why yeah, why do you like card games, Dan? Why do you like to make me miserable? It's so I think I think there uh, there is probably one reason why I uh, gravitate towards card games for each stage of my life. So the first reason is as a kid, everybody was playing card games and I didn't have an allowance or I didn't have uh, like my parents wouldn't let, let us buy them um, for whatever reason. So I didn't have them. I wanted them. So, uh, I wanted, I wanted to collect cards and I like that collectible aspect as a, as a kid. I want, I wanted to, to open these things up and see what they were. And then when I finally got them, I never, I never did anything with them, to be honest. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think the first time I actually played the Pokemon card game was when I got cards as a kid and then immediately ruined or lost them. Uh, I got some old when I was older and then sat down and was like, maybe I should actually learn the rules. So that was probably when I was like, <laughs> 20. I, we played it at our, when we were in grad school together once. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was probably only like the third time I had ever actually played the rules. And it's not a bad game as far as like CCGs go. But then the second stage of my life, when I was older, like, you know, older teen and in college, when I really started thinking about like, I think I really like making games. Uh, the reason I gravitated towards card games is uh, more practical in that they're a lot easier to prototype. Oh, okay. I, I've had a million ideas for, for different like board games or, or anything, but when it comes down to it, if I want to make a game that needs custom dice versus cards, cards you can put on index cards and have like blank versions or you know, like uh, ugly versions, or like there's a million ways to easily print cards on the internet, you know, for relatively cheap. If I want to publish a game, which I'm learning now, I can you know, I, I've looked up multiple vendors to, you know, actually like prototype your game or like you could even go in the 3D printing route for if you need like, you know, minis or anything. Um, there's some really gr- great resources out there like the Game Crafter. Uh, I've looked into them. They seem pretty legit and read really good reviews or whatever. But when it comes down to it, one person with limited time and um, aren't even sure what they can do with it after they make something, a card game is really easy. And then the third phase, um, which is more recently, card games are uh, a little easier to sell to my family <laughs> and people I play with. Um, they don't generally take a lot of time or uh, they're not very intense in um, like brain power. Maybe not brain power, but like the resources you need to, I guess, uh, allocate to play one. Like, you know, my family. And how mm-hmm. uh, hectic things can be like, to get everybody sitting down in one room and to get them engaged and like drawn into something. Cards are usually like quick turns with um, some kind of simple like reward loop. Like mm-hmm. on your turn, you are doing something, getting an immediate result, and then passing your turn. Not a lot of downtime, um, you know, unless my dad has like a million questions on each individual interaction of a card in Dominion. Um, That's literally never happened ever. No, oh no, I love you, Dad. And then the fourth thing, which I'll admit to you is the reason I gravitate towards them is because I want you to like them. (laughs) I want to find the one or I want to make the one that gets you to like these things. (laughs) So I think, yeah, we, we, we could probably boil that down to, um, four part recipe of, um, nostalgia, practical practicality, accessibility and Sisyphusian challenge. Yeah, good luck with that last part. Yeah. And I would, I don't know, just, just hearing that, like, card games, they're accessible is like... Yeah, ex- uh, accessible, uh, not not like the, uh, not you know, in terms of um, 
you know, disability, but accessible in terms of um, teaching or introducing introductory, you know, like you look at right. lists of games online for how to get people into your, how to get people into your designer board game collection. And yeah. one of the first games they always pitch to people is Dominion. Yeah, it's it's a gateway. There are gateway card games. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, like Dominion. And I like Dominion. I, I am I'm cool playing that. Love Letter, that's a card game. Yeah. You know, Bad Beats, that's a card game. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, come on, how many people's first game that's not Monopoly is Munchkin? That's a card game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like, I like Sushi Go. Sushi Go is an excellent card game, and technically a deck builder. So there you go. That's, Sushi Go is probably like. the best deck builder. Yes. Oh, wait, no, it's not. Sorry. We can, we have to cut that. Not deck builder. Drafting game. Strike that. Okay. So that as far as deck builders go, I feel like uh, aside from Dominion, those are the games that seem to be more intense or have that, like, they, they get that reputation, I guess, as being really yeah, intense yeah. and really, like, like it's it's magic. It's Netrunner. It's the Game of Thrones card game. I mean, these are, these are card games that, uh, yeah, okay, so the last two examples are, they're not always blind packs you know buying and buying and buying and buying cards forever but like they still kind of do that so like it is is a huge financial investment it seems like uh it's a uh, especially in in new york it's like a a space in your home (laughs) investment even though they are cards like you have to have so many of them and you then you have to know all of them and you have to take them people are playing tournaments and they're just like it is dudes i just want to play a game so what is it about like deck builders in particular that keeps you coming back to them well it's funny it's funny though the examples you brought up for it too uh i recently got the courage up to uh share the initial prototype the first draft of this game the mm-hmm. i took some pictures of it because i'm really proud of the how the art came out he says of the game he's full screenshots from shows for um yep, yep. but i you know I, I did all the i did the layouts and stuff i'm very happy with the way the the cards looked printed so i got the courage to put put it on reddit and uh imager and um the initial questions i got were like so is it like Yu-Gi-Oh or dominion and um you know i think even even when i sit here and think you know i i, I say in my reasons why i like deck building is because oh it's like an easy thing to pitch to people and stuff it's people heard probably are listening to that and if they haven't already turned off the podcast for the dragon ball mention they're like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about and they turn it off now because um you know people hear deck builder and people either know and think of dominion or they think like you said magic or like uh, a fantasy flight card game like game of thrones people kind of equate it with that like oh i'm building a pre-constructed deck of like these cards i buy a hundred things you know i Mm-hmm. Pokemon card game like you know six times already, and that's not a deck builder like this. But I think one of the main one of the main things that you could look at for it is so Dominion was the first kind of uh, the deck building genre I'm doing, like the actual yeah board game deck builder where you have one set of cards that is consistent, and the game is to build a deck out of these through whatever rules. Yes. Which system is this, by the way? Oh, it's oh yeah, we should probably mention that. So the, the game I'm working with is I'm making a hack of the Cerberus engine, which okay. people probably don't know it by that unless you're like really involved in it. If you, uh, It's the Cryptozoic games. Uh, any deck builder they've published uses some variant of the Cerberus engine. It's their own in-house designed system. Um, I believe the DC comics or Street Fighter game were their first one. Um, okay. They're designed to be basically... And, and they go like the Cartoon Network game. Yeah, the uh, Cartoon Network crossover crisis is one of the newer ones. I think Attack on okay. Titan might be the newest. Okay. Uh, but I actually am not super 
invested in their their um their games uh besides like the the card the card wars the adventure time game but that's a clone of magic um not <laughs> not the deck builder but the yeah. uh wow i have a lot of card games and card game opinions yes but the the cryptozoic games the cerberus engine that is all it's designed to be a system that they kind of slap whatever theme they want on it they all have the same card back and you can put your Street Fighter characters in the same deck as your DC Comics, as your, I guess, technically, um, you could you could possibly combine the advent, uh, the Cartoon Network one. They they have some kind of sub theme on the Cerberus engine, so it might be like DC Comics and Street Fighter are Cerberus colon Heroes engine. There might be like mm. there's one there's they actually have a game that's like I just found out about it when doing my research and um, building this. They have one that's called like NHL Power Play or something, where it's it's a deck builder about building a hockey team. Wow! Uh, I don't think that's compatible with the DC one. You can't have Batman like hit oh. shot. Um, but what is even the point? Then? Yeah, right. But I, in general, this idea is that they have this engine they own that they can whatever license they can get their hands on, make a deck builder, and that seemed like kind of. It, it still seems like it's happening today, but even a few years ago when Dominion first kind of hit maximum popularity, it seems like every publishing company, whether you're a big, you know, well-known, you know, Euro designer, American, American designer, uh, any, anybody that's making board games right now seems like you get a license, you throw a deck builder out there. Mm-hmm. And I forget exactly what the initial question that got us on this train of thought was, but I know the response that I ultimately wanted to get to was, one of one of the main things is that these things keep coming out and people keep doing them bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's the main reason why though is because they think card games are easy, we have a license and here we go. Pump this thing out and they just kind of fall flat. Um you know, you go to any board game shop and there's there's like a 100 deck builders out there. Dominion sticks around because while it's theme if you could even call it that is like mm-hmm. super innocuous you know those those rules there are very solid dominion will everybody should own like a a box of the core set of dominion just because it's it's a solid game you know whether or not you're going to buy the expansions depends on you know if you're going to play it every weekend um and you need that variety but it's got something there to go back to because it's you know it's a solid set of rules whereas other deck builders i've played we've played oh you were taught the question was on the 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 complexity and the difficulty because we have that Star Trek deck builder that we were initially very excited about because mm-hmm. that was when you were first getting me into Star Trek so it was a, it was kind of a shared interest you had Star Trek to bring you in and you wanted to share Star Trek with me and I liked card games and I wanted to share card games with you and we played it and it's just a bunch of systems that don't connect well mm-hmm. you can't you can't be fun or you, you can't be fun you can't have fun simply putting Riker in the same deck as Janeway when there's no kind of interconnection there there's no um mechanics there to make it fun it's just like oh look you you know this reference you know that reference we put it on you know put it on cards and then it does a thing there were all those rules about you remember like the the spaceship battles which was like this so super complicated extra layer of mechanics that was unnecessary and just made mm-hmm. every turn so slow and the same thing for uh that one's the, those that game's uh i think the same as like the resident evil game which i tried playing once and is uh i think capcom makes both of those like it's mm-hmm. 
maybe through some board game publisher too, but they like, you know, they did the same thing. They had a couple licenses, they made a couple deck builders and they're just like super bland experiences. Um, Cause you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of thought went into it, but the, they just don't wind up achieving what I think they were aiming for. It's a lot of uh, you like this thing you should like this game. It's, you know, it's a capitalizing on, on your, your, your fandom or your, your interest there. So, uh, there's a lot of card games that exist and they are bad because companies are just, you know, taking an existing engine and slapping a new theme on it. Uh, so you took an existing engine and, and slapped you slapped a new theme, theme on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So how, how is your card game not bad? What did, what did you do? So, yeah. So I wanted, I also wanted to, to, uh, that's where I was kind of leading with all this. I have a lot of strong opinions about these things, and I am probably making the same mistakes that all of these people going into these make designers making these games made. <laughs> nice. um, so I bet every single person who's going in who is handed a license and told to make a deck builder thinks they are doing the right thing. So now with that out of the way, you like go if you want if you if you have any interest in playing this thing, ask me for it. I'll show you the cards. Tear me apart. I probably made the same mistakes. I probably screwed up. But the reason why I think that this one works is because I took a system that prides style over substance and married it to a show from my childhood and I guess nowadays too, because they just have the new ver- the new show out, Dragon Ball Z, and that is a show that also prides style over substance. <laughs> so, um, so that makes it okay. Well, I feel like they're a match made in heaven because even the basic terms in the game have like one to one correlation with, you know, common tropes or phrases in Dragon Ball Z. We were just talking about this when I was kind of, you know, excitedly showing you all these cards that you could not care less about uh, (laughs) when I got them. The main currency in a Cryptozoic deck builder is called power. This kind of makes sense when, you know, it's a superhero game, like the DC one, or a fighting game, like Street Fighter. Like, okay, you're you're playing cards and accumulating power, and then you're spending that power to buy cards, and it starts to fall apart a little bit, and then totally falls apart when you have something like the Cartoon Network game, because why is Gumball Watterson accumulating power to... <laughs> go to Dexter's laboratory. Like it just, it just winds up being this weird thing that falls apart when they have to think in terms of making this universal across a bunch of different licenses. But in Dragon Ball Z, I asked you uh, earlier, what's the, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Dragon Ball Z? Yeah. And that is just a bunch of sweaty dudes grunting to accumulate power so they can punch the bad guy. So I took this and I have, okay, I am playing cards to raise my power level. Like they talk about power levels, you know, everybody knows, uh, you know, scouters and it's over 9,000 or whatever. And like I was sitting in my parents' cabin, Uh, my sister's boyfriend bought this card game. Um, He's very excited about showing it to us. And we had played, you know, we had our friends way back when show us the DC card game. And we were like, we did not have a good experience with that. So when he brings out this Cartoon Network game, I'm like, Okay, sure, Yale, you know, I will, I'll play a game with you, because I like playing games with you, but, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, cool, another, another Cerberus engine game, this is, this is gonna be a great time. And then he starts going through the rules, you know, refreshing my memory on how to play, and I'm looking at these things and realizing, like, hey, I'm raising my power level to 
defeat a bad guy. Because in uh, Cerberus Engine games, supervillains or nemesis, they're victory point cards. And there's only one of them out at a time, and you have to raise your power level to beat them up. That's what every episode of Dragon Ball Z is. So, uh, like, I, I, I don't remember exactly what had happened before, but I was probably, before playing the game, I probably was watching an episode of uh, Dragon Ball Super or something, mm-hmm. and just everything kind of clicked. I was like, oh my god, this is, this engine is exactly what I just watched. Uh, and the yeah. more, and the more we played, the, the more it made sense. Like, they separate the cards into heroes and villains. You have locations and tools and superpowers. And again, like, it was this kind of bland terminology in the Cartoon Network game. Like, alright, why, like, Land of Ooh makes sense as a location, right? The mechanics on the card, like, whatever it did, maybe not so much. But, like, why is Jake's stretchiness a tool, you know? Um, why is like, like Dexter's super, like, I guess super science kind of makes sense as like a superpower, but they were just kind of things, you know, it made sense for that card's art to be on that card type and with that effect in, in design, but not thematically or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Dragon Ball Z, it's everybody, oh, we can't beat the bad guy. We need to learn a new move to beat the bad guy. Oh, we, we can't find the Dragon Balls. Bulma needs to invent a dragon radar so we can find them. Like, every single thing about this system made sense with this license. So we finished playing it. I looked at Yale and Kevin and Liz um, and told them that this theme fits. And by the time we had driven the three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour car ride back with traffic, uh, back from upstate New York to New York City, I had the cards already written out. You know, we, I looked up exactly the, the card count for each type, made some, you know, took down the, like, wrote, wrote down, like, how much the cards cost so I could kind of ape the mana curve, for lack of a better word. Just like, you don't want to wind up making all car- a deck builder that's all cards that cost too much to buy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want to make sure you have that distribution, the, the range for the, for the set. And uh, just started going through, maybe spent another week or, or less on it, like, just writing down, you know, coming up brainstorming ideas for different card abilities. And then wrote them up, sent them out to the people that I told I was going to make this. Got maybe two things of feedback, which I think boiled down to, yo, looks good and nice. <laughs> and uh, never heard of, heard about it again. And um, kind of let it sit, because right after that, I think I spent one weekend or two. You, you showed me, you taught me how to use Illustrator. And then Gen Con came. And not too long after Gen Con, um, the job I was working at before, like, that got super busy and I hated it. Uh, and this thing was kind of just sitting on my, uh, on my computer unfinished until two weekends ago when I just decided, you know what? Screw it. And I bought the cards. I just, I went on, um, went online, found a site that, uh, is probably should be better about, um, verifying that you actually own the license to what you're asking to be printed and then printed them up. None of them are. It's, it's, it's <laughs> fine. It's the internet. This is what happens. Yeah. So I, uh, I I played it a few times now uh, on my own, um, and so why I've... why won't anyone who lives with you play test? Wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it seems to work. So um, yeah, that's that's that long winded story about how how I got into this whole thing. So we have some listener questions that are relevant to some of the stuff that actually we just talked about. One of them from Twitter is Matt Calder was asking, uh, how do you determine the ratio of costs? How do you ensure an even spread of resources so that most cards can be bought? And it sounds like you pretty much took the system as is, right? Like the the card count, the costs, 
yeah. So for first for starters, I did. I looked at the. Um, I, I took the cards out of everybody's hands after we finished playing for the first time, put them all in piles for each type and cost and everything, and started writing down notes. I I, um, I remember scrambling and because my parents' cabin I think had one tattered notebook and a like half finished like half run out pen. It was like that was like the only resources I had for writing stuff down. So I wound up because it was way too difficult to just like keep putting in numbers and stuff. And like mm-hmm. notes on my phone. But when I got home, I took that and looked up. I, I downloaded like the PDF rules for um, a bunch of the different games just to see like across them, like how many cards of each type there were. And I had the, I had oh, okay. the, the, I guess you would call it like a spread. You know, I had the, I had the spread yeah. of co- different costs and how many cards were in, e- in each category of cost. Uh, but from there, I actually, I, I believe I increased the number of cards in the deck and I had this Excel spreadsheet built where as oh, I yeah. as I built out cards, I had it tracking not only card costs, but also instances of keywords or uh triggers for abilities. Like I had that every card and its effects categorized. So like Goku is a four cost card, so he would check a box in, in Excel for like, okay, I, I just created a four cost card that adds increases that count. He has this many victory points on his card that increases this count. Uh, his keyword is, you know, Saiyan that increases that count. Uh, and then his ability, his card text has, uh, the phrases like draw a card and put a card on the bottom of your deck. Like these diff- different like mechanics, mm-hmm. anytime those showed up, they triggered, you know, they ticked off boxes that increased that. So I tried to have an even spread of, uh, mechanics in there as well as costs and things. That was one of the things I actually wanted to focus really heavily on, was because mm-hmm. for, for those of you that are um, familiar with deck builders, you probably have mechanically a low opinion of the Cerberus engines, because games like games like the Cerberus engine games, games like Ascension, even games like the, I, I don't know what engine those, those Star Trek and Resident Evil ones work off of, but Dominion... Dominion works because you are playing with a predetermined set of cards that have predetermined quantities, so everyone has the same opportunity to build the same deck if they wanted to, or at least a very similar one. The strategies are apparent when you put the cards on the table. In the in all in those other engines I just mentioned and the Cerberus engine, there is one copy of every card in the deck. Yeah. So it is Goku is a unique card. He is the only card that does his thing for his cost, uh, and only shows up once in the deck. There are 115 cards in the deck and you only see uh, five of them a turn. So Mm -hmm. you can see Goku and see that he does this thing and then never see another card that uh, interacts with him. If this were a standard Cerberus game, I tried to decrease the number of like strategies or, or like archetypes for decks in it to increase the frequency of these strategies so that everybody can kind of get similar effects, if not the one exact one they're looking for. Uh, yeah. I also increased the number of cards you can see in a, in a turn. Normally there are only five cards showing and available for purchase. I increased that to seven, uh, mm-hmm. mostly because I knew I needed to increase the number so that you could see these things more frequently and get through the deck faster. And then if you're going to increase it anyway, why not go to a number that is relevant to the theme? Because there are seven Dragon Balls. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I don't think I broke the this the range too much, 
Uh, I did just order an additional set of 15 cards uh, after playtesting play it a couple times, mm-hmm. just to try to introduce... Um, you can tell I'm a card game player, or at least grew up as one, because I keep when I want to refer to things, I keep falling back on Magic: The Gathering phrases. Like I was going to call it mana fixing, but there yeah, are that's that's <laughs> indecipherable to me. Yeah, thanks. There are um, ooh jargon. Ooh, ah. basically, I I created a a couple like 15 new cards that kind of test out a few different ideas for how to um, if I if I did screw with the the range, like if I increase the number of one cost cards, like cheap things that don't really have great effects. Uh, how would that break the game? Or um, if I split up the costs a little differently, how would that change how you build the deck? So I'm going to okay. see how the, that those new types of cards affect things. Uh, mostly because the, the co- while the costs seem fine, I was finding that certain certain themes wound up just through lack of oversight and only having one set of eyes on these things. Some some of the themes did tend to lean a little towards more towards the expensive side of the uh the sets, so it was a little harder for everybody to get a chance into these uh to buy into that type of deck. And one of the other things I did uh after playtesting was I noticed that after all the mechanics are in play, you know, and you're buying your cards and fighting over different things with the other players, uh, there are occasionally still turns where just you draw a hand of cards and like none of the combos you want are there. It's a dead turn, essentially. I Part of the set of cards I just bought to test is a mechanic I'm calling Anger. Because, you know, in Dragon Ball, if you can't beat the bad guy, what do they do? They have a scene of Vegeta looking at the ground and pounding it because he's angry. Uh, and then next episode, he's a little stronger because he was angry. So um, anger is a, is a new mechanic, not in any of the Cerberus games, where if you have a turn and it's dead, you just take a separate card that just says, like, it's a picture of, I think, Goku screaming. Uh, and it says one anger on it. If you have another turn that is dead, you flip that over and now it has a, a, a two on it. Uh, and you can just cash that in, in full, like there's no change, but you just get like, it's just two extra money to spend on a turn to kind of help you like, okay, if you're kind of lagging behind and you're not buying, your, your deck's not as efficient as others. Um, it's just a little pick, like a uh, boost to get back in the game. Yeah. So I think, I think such stuff like that will help with, um, any kind of anomalies and, like, just, oh, we happen to only see high-cost cards this game? Like, there you go. Or you just keep getting screwed and the person to your left keeps buying all the cards for the deck you want. And, you, you know, this this gives you a little boost to catch up and buy the stuff you do want instead of, like, actually hitting them in real life. That's good. That I, I think more games need ya. You have not played enough of the, the Cartoon Network game with me and Yale. Whenever he, he, he at this point... Yeah, I haven't been, played any of it. Yeah, he, he makes it a point now to buy a crystal gem whenever they show up, and all he knows is I want to make a crystal gem deck, and he won't let me. Every I've never bought Par- Paradot, <laughs> my queen. Oh, he does not let I'm me so have sorry. it. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there needs to be an outlet for your rage so that you don't punch you. Um, <laughs> I'm really very pleasant. Um, yeah, no, that's true. You would never. P.K. Sullivan, friend of the show, a uh, former guest, uh, had a question on Twitter. Well, actually, he says, no specific question, but I'm interested in the interplay between mechanics and theme for deck builders. And it sounds like, like we talked about this a little bit earlier. You saw the mechanics and went, oh, I know the theme for this game. So in this particular instance, you know, they, they kind of mirrored each other. There was a lot in common that, that it just seemed like a natural fit. Yeah, um, you've played a lot of other deck builders, though, and we've played. You know, we we've talked about it quite a bit. Dominion and how that is—it's it's almost themeless. Like it is that generic, 
nobles and coins and merchants and like generic fantasy stuff but like it doesn't mean anything like it, it's it's about as themeless as you can get without just being numbers on a piece of paper yeah and really there at least in the core box of dominion there is a super viable strategy that ignores the the only cards with a theme are the ones like the the main kingdom set there's mm-hmm. a, there's a strategy that's just called like big money and all you do is buy the money cards that let you buy the victory points. So you can even choose to not engage with the minimal theme there is. Yeah, uh, nice. And and I don't know what it is. Like, I, I think that's my favorite deck building game. Maybe it's the lack of theme that I'm just like, yeah, okay, this makes sense. And the more fluff you put on it, like the less patience I have for this, which is ridiculous and weird and I don't understand. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's a great game. It, it is a little weird. It, it, I think it's just that the, the mechanics for it are solid and that's what... That's why people come back to it. Like, it doesn't need yeah. a theme. And in fact, for it to be, uh, we were just talking about this before the show, um, for it to even exist, it, it couldn't have a theme because it, you don't yeah. want to get that lost in, you know, th- those mechanics were, were super new. Like, deck builders weren't around really before Dominion. So it mm-hmm. needed to show how this, this genre would work before it could start saying, like, no, it's not property you're buying. You're buying spaceships and, you're spending energy and yeah, just needed to be math and mechanics. Yeah. So uh, I guess to answer PK's non-question. Whoa, harsh. It, well, he said it's, it's not a question. He's just curious. <laughs> about it, but um, the mechanics and theme in deck builders uh, sounds like it's kind of all over the map. Like there's there's some games that don't have a theme, or there's games that have a theme because that's the property that the company bought, and they just kind of crammed them together and went, "Here you go, it's a game." You you kind of called me out. I, I I did already talk about this a little bit with like mm-hmm. I saw these mechanics and I thought here's the theme, but the reason. The reason why I think that worked is because it wasn't just, it wasn't just like, oh, I saw, I played this game. You know, what's a license that would work on it? If it was Dragon Ball themed, it really did. Like, it seemed like the one that it should be. Cerberus games, one of the mechanics I cut from them, uh, at least for the first version of it, they let you play as a character. They give you a character card and say, like, you are playing Finn or you're Batman. Mm-hmm. And they, it's a tarot-sized card that sits in front of you that gives you, like, an extra ability for your deck, kind of locking you into, like, or at least suggesting a strategy. But again, they're just kind of, like, seem seemingly arbitrary decisions. Like, you know, Batman might give you bonuses in your deck for, for um, buying tools, which, like, okay, we get it. Like, Batman, gadgets. But you might never see a tool. In the game, mm-hmm. you know, it might be just the luck of the draw. You might never get the chance. And so you don't wind up feeling, you know, right? Um, <laughs> Batman's a tool. There, I said it. Um, the, you know, it just might not work. And, and you wind up, in fact, it, you, not only does it not feel like you're engaging with the mechanics of the game because like, oh, like I'm supposed to buy tools and I can't. At worst, it will lock you in to a deck that you might not find fun. Like, oh, I got dealt Batman, I guess I'm playing the tool deck and it's not even like what I like doing. And then at, at even worse than worst, it, it winds up taking away your fun because you feel like you don't get to fully engage with the game because, oh, I'm supposed to be the gadgety guy and it's not happening. Like, this is weird and it's this weird, like this disconnect it creates. Yeah. Uh, so I got rid of those because like, you're not you're not playing as Goku. You're playing a Dragon Ball Z deck builder. Like, let's not pretend that there are even any kind of like role-playing mechanics in it. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you can sit there and scream and shout and power up as much as you want. And I considered actually making that the rule for who goes first, um, who could sit there and like do the best power up. Uh, instead I'm thinking it might be who has the spikiest hair, aping off small worlds, who has the pointiest ears. Okay. But the ba the under the basic terminology and stuff that we already talked about like that fit dragon ball but then i instead of just leaving it at that i thought like okay so what are other ways we can add to this game to make it take advantage of the feat so big part of dragon ball mm -hmm. are the dragon balls you know, where the gets oh, the shit. yeah where does it gets the name whoa hey sorry to drop that bomb on everybody <laughs> so starting you know with the the series, like the first adventure they go on is this quest to find these Dragon Balls. And for those of you that don't know and never managed to pick it up through pop culture, good for you. You, you dodged a bullet there. Um, when you collect all seven Dragon Balls, you get a wish. So other Dragon Ball card games I've played, they're mostly, you know, like collectible card games, like magic style, um, like competitive battling things. They try to w work in Dragon Balls into the game just as, like, cards. Like, oh, I collected the one-star Dragon Ball. It gives, it lets me draw a card or lets me, you know, do this thing. That's kind of boring. Like, you're just putting a card in your deck. It's not, ma it's not making you feel like you're collecting the Dragon Balls. You're not going on this hunt. Uh, so I, I created a mechanic in this where if a card costs four to buy, that's represented as a, as a number. You know, there's a little numerical four in the top left. But there's also a four-star Dragon Ball. And it's like an extra visual cue for that's how much it costs, because you were telling me that good design represents things twice. But it's also, there's a fun little thing where if you play a hand of cards and you have all seven Dragon Ball symbols show up in your hand, you get to make a wish. And I created seven wish cards that are uh, set to the side. And they uh, give you some extra victory points when you pull it off, because I've played the game maybe four times to test it. And I've only been able to pull off one wish. Um, so they give you, they give you a good set, a good amount of victory points and a relatively powerful effect. So if you've been kind of getting the short end of the stick and wind up with the most like curse cards, uh, in, in this game, they're called injuries, but in Dominion, the, you know, a nice focal mm -hmm. reference point, things that just kind of fill up your deck and make your draws, uh, crappier. There's a wish there that lets you search through your deck and just take 10 cards out of it. So you can thin your deck to like be more efficient. There's a wish that lets you just get 10 points that turn to spend on whatever you want to spend it on. Because the wishes in Dragon Ball range from everything to like, I want a million dollars to like bring this bad guy back to life. But that wound up making it kind of fun. So every time you're playing a hand, you're like, oh man, am I going to be able to, am I going to collect all seven Dragon Balls? Am I going to pull off a wish? And it gives it this extra little kind of feedback on your on how your deck's being built, how you're how you're playing the game. And if you look at the cards available to you to buy, and you see, hey, none of these really engage with the archetype I'm building for my deck. Uh, you know, this doesn't fit my strategy, or they're not really worth points. They're they're not an efficient buy for what I want to do. You can look at the number, like the cost, and say, oh, okay, I don't really want to buy the Dragon Ball Radar, but its ability is it's a wild card for when you're making a wish. Or, I don't really need Captain Ginyu in my deck, but he costs five, and I know my odds of drawing a five-star uh, ball are low. I'll throw him in there, and I can, you know, work towards getting a wish done. Okay. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it winds up being um, not as easy to pull off as I had hoped, so that's one of the other things, and I mentioned before, I added 
a few more cards to try to fix some inadequacies. One of the things I'm trying to fix is I'm playing around with actually putting in Dragon Ball, like just cards that have the Dragon Ball on them to let players buy just something that sits out and is a permanent fixture on their uh, on their play area. So like it doesn't get discarded at the end of a turn. Like if you have the one star ball, you put it in front of you, it is there. But another thing in Dragon Ball is people fighting over these things. So I added in a little mechanic to also increase player interaction because deck builders can also feel very solo. So if you play a, a Dragon Ball in front of you, now you only have to worry, if you play the one star Dragon Ball in front of you, you only have to worry about playing a hand of cards two through seven. But having that out in front lets, there's rules on it for like how you can, un, uh, how I could on my turn take that from you by spending points. Uh, it winds up just making it a little sillier and um, gives you something, another extra thing like, okay, none of these buys are efficient for me. None of them fit the theme I want to build. Uh, but I really don't like my brother, so I'm going to steal that card from him. Um, you know, just a little silly thing. Okay. One other thing that I'm not sure exactly sure this is where PK was going with this question, but in terms of how I created some of the mechanics, seems like most deck builders kind of focus on a few core things of, you know, more efficient purchasing, increasing the number of things you can do on a turn, or like searching for cards, like some kind of, um, you know, fixing or, uh, making your deck more efficient. That's all well and good, but this is Dragon Ball, and Dragon Ball is... Dragon Ball is silly. Dragon Ball is, you know, style over substance. So I'm not going to just have you draw a card. When you play the Goku card, uh, Goku is known for his, you know, his signature move of a, of a Kamehameha, where he puts his hands, like, below... You know, everybody kind of knows that pose, and if not, you know, we can put it in the show notes or whatever. <laughs> I, so, I, I think everybody <laughs> knows. So... I was sitting there thinking like, okay, I want Goku to have this kind of deck interaction that lets you kind of like fix your hand to be a little more efficient because like he's, he's strong. Mm-hmm. So I was going to be like, let you get rid of a card and take a new one. Cause like, okay, this card's dead in my hand. I play Goku, discard a card I don't want, draw another card. Maybe it's something good. Instead of discarding it, I had you put it on the bottom of your deck because it's kind of mimicking that pose. Like you pick something up and then you put something below it and your hands kind of do that pose. Okay. So yeah. it, I'm charging up my Kamehameha and doing it. Just something that like probably would have gone unnoticed, but like makes this dork right here really happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a goofy thing to say, but like it's important to have fun making it and like put those little things in there. Even if people might not get it the first time or the second time, but there will be a moment when they're playing that they'll go like, oh my God, I'm doing, I'm doing the thing. Yeah. Like, that's, that's kind of exactly what I was aiming for, for, um, there are a few interactions in the game that, like, you can't really plan for, but if they happen, like, they're a reference and wind up just being, like, super silly. So, yeah, another thing that, like, I'm hoping everybody knows, and please, guys, please love Dragon Ball with me, um, <laughs> the fusion dance, you know, that kind of dorky, like, you, you lift up your leg and then you spin mm-hmm. and you put your fingers on the other person's fingers. So the the kids that do that in, in Dragon Ball... You know, they fuse together, and everybody loves fusion now, thanks to Steven Universe, the best Dragon Ball show that ever existed. The fusion character, uh, his card is, you look at the top card and the bottom card of your deck, and if they match, you get them. Because if the fusion dance is pulled off correctly, you know, you're powerful. But if the fusion dance is messed up, even for a minute, you still fuse, but your character is, 
like really, really inefficient. Like I think in the show, like a couple of times they mess it up. Like one of the times they fuse, they, they like don't put their fingers the right way and they turn into like a really old version of themselves. Uh, so like this is like, okay, if you somehow pull off to have the top card of your deck match the cost of the bottom card of your deck, you did the fusion dance and you get like, you know, drawing two cards and like gaining bonus points is really like that's a really efficient play like off one card so like it's not gonna happen but if it does you're gonna freak out and like there there are cards that let you try to kind of push it in the right direction for pulling it off like goten and trunks the two kids that do the fusion dance their cards let you put a card on top of your deck and put a card on the bottom of your deck so if you have both of them in the same turn you could like manage it around to like kind of manipulate everything to work into this in, in a kind of mm. um, janky combo. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it's, it's just silly stuff. <laughs> One of the other listener questions we got is from... Well, it's from Games by Playdate on Twitter, but I know it's Glenn. And Glenn wants to know, how come deck builders are a garbage subgenre and are not fun? Uh, which, I'm right there with you, buddy. Uh, and and <laughs> he wants to know, why can't new players do well? Which... Like I, I get that. Yeah. I uh I I definitely remember like I like I like Dominion. I do enjoy playing that game. Um, but I remember learning it and thinking, what what is what is happening to me? What is this thing going on right now? And I know that's because like it was the beginning of that particular genre of game. Um I didn't really have anything else to compare it to. But games like that and then other games that we may think of as deck builders like Magic and Netrunner and things like that that aren't deck builders in the same way. But you build a deck. But you build a deck and then you play the game. Um but yeah, there it's man, just the the barrier of entry I feel like for a lot of these games is rough. Oh yeah, um you know And I don't know I, why that is. I love Dominion and I don't think my fa- my family plays Dominion pretty regularly. It's like our go-to because it can mm-hmm. play all of us. I don't think we were actually pulling off like buying ending. You know, and Dominion ends when you deplete three stacks of cards or deplete the highest point victory point pile. Uh, I don't think we were ending the game by buying the good victory points until like you know two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And we've had that game for years. We just kind of played it and like, we played cards and oh no, now the game's over. Who won? Uh, like now we've gotten very competitive because, you know, we, we've played with the same set of cards and that's what it is. It's whether your deck builder is an actual deck builder like Dominion or, um, you know, one of like my game or, uh, any other one of the millions that are out there or a constructed, you know, collectible card game or a living card game like the Fantasy Flight ones. Card games, I guess, it's an inherent assumption of the designers that you know the card pool. That the people that are drawn to these yeah. are those like data-driven, efficient players that or people players that look for efficient plays. They want to know the best interactions, the best card combos to really pull these things off. And I'm gonna go and say that that's bunk. It's it's garbage. That that shouldn't be um, what a game shouldn't be fun if you have to put in homework. That's why yeah. that's why I dropped out of Netrunner. I, I was pretty big into the Netrunner competitive scene. Yeah, I, I really love the Game of Thrones card game. Uh, you could argue that this Dragon Ball project I'm working on is just the same project I was doing with uh, back when uh, Game of Thrones card game released the HBO version. I worked with some people on Board Game Geek, and we created our own cards for it because they only made two decks, and we wanted more cards. But they're not fun 
if you're playing with somebody in who knows the cards better than you because they know they know that oh I shouldn't buy that card because it's not as efficient as this card. So I guess in a weird way my answer is card games aren't fun for new players because you're probably either playing with the wrong people or playing the wrong games. Dominion can be very fun with new people if you look up online like uh which I guess is still kind of homework. Ugh. But yeah. there are people out there that have like come up with these, you know, websites to like build recommend sets to you to play with. Uh and they wind up being being very fun because they they the strategies in them are a little more obvious. My dad plays these games with us mostly because he just likes playing games. He hates that Dominion has an end in mind yeah. because he just wants to keep shuffling his cards and doing a thing. Games like these Cerberus Engine games, you know, the, we played the DC one with our friends who were like really into it and we hated it. Not to put words in your mouth, but I, I remember driving home that night and that's all we talked about. Oh um, yeah, no. It was, it was a bad time. Yeah. And I'm going to argue that like, it's also because a lot of these games are just not good. Maybe, but I, I think like you kind of hit right on it though. Uh, Dominion is, all the cards are right there in the open from the get-go. Like you can look at them and say, okay, if I, if I buy this card and this card and this card, it, it, they work together. I can see that. Like they're staring me right in the face. Um, like I, I know this from turn one. But the Cerberus games, there's so many hidden cards that you just don't know yet. And th- things like, um, like uh, it reminds me of Race for the Galaxy. We we played a lot of that. And when I when we first started playing, and even now, like I don't play it enough to know all of the cards that are in that deck. Like there are so many cards, and there are, so many of them are unique. But I, like I have a little bit better grasp now. But starting out, like I had no idea what else I would find in the deck. I don't know what cards to pick up to to make uh, an engine, to make points, to to get where I need to go. I love that you brought up race. It's super frustrating. Yeah. I should have, I completely forgot about it. I think it's a weird outlier for deck building, because that one, unlike my goof with Sushi Go before, uh, race is a deck building game, but it's like a weird off, like that, that's in its own strange island because. Like you build your deck out in front of you. Yeah. And and I shouldn't like race at all, but I, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess maybe it's not a deck because you're not building a deck. You're building a tableau of cards that interact mm-hmm. with things. Um, right, but, but you're like, still it's doing essentially a, lot a deck of the same because all, yeah, all you have, you're, you're building those combos. You're just not drawing them every turn. Um, right. But the it's a, it's this weird little island of it shouldn't work as well as it does because it's the same problems that all the like the same problems I keep going back to with a card pool that's too big. Uh, you know, unique cards that you may never see. In a, in a game because of the way the flop works. Um, you know, you just might not draw into the thing you need and then your whole deck is screwed. But somehow race using its like resource mechanics and its, uh, action limitations, like, winds up just working really well. We need to play that one. <laughs> so I, I guess the answer is it's, it is a garbage subgenre because it is just the nature of the subgenre. I don't know, like, it's a lot of those games, they're just going to be difficult for new players because you don't have the information going into it. So you either have a have a bad time or have a tough time, or you do a lot of reading before you play that game. Yeah, too, too many games in... The, this this genre has too many games in it too quickly. You know, it's they're, they're just being flooded. Like, you know, there's a new deck builder out there every week. And they, the people putting these out just... There are too many assumptions being made on the player base. They just assume you you are playing this because you like card games, or you you 
uh, every, every CCG or LCG or anything coming out seems to be created from the standpoint of, oh, you played Magic once, but you can't afford it now, so try our game. Not, <laughs> here's our game, it's good, play it. Like, they, they just make these assumptions on the player base that you're, you're into, you've already have this some sort of investment or buy-in into the mm-hmm. genre or the theme when really they should be coming to it from like, I want to make a game about this first and not, oh, I want the people who are already playing these to play mine instead. Yeah. Do you think there's an assumption too that like, oh, you've already played Magic, you've already dealt with there there being a card game with like a bazillion different card types. If you buy my game, all the cards are in this box and you can just sit at home one afternoon and read them and just know what you're doing. Yes, I think that there's that assumption because I fell for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I bought Epic. All right. Still haven't played it. You are you are the target audience. Good job. Yeah. I mean, that's what Fantasy Flight's whole business model is for their card games. Hey, you don't want to buy a booster pack? All the cards are available in one box. Then they, you know, get you to buy that box and you realize, oh, but to have all of them, you need to buy three copies of it. Um, so it's just a booster mm. with a transparent wrapper instead. The way to make them fun is... Unfortunately, it's a lot like fighting games. If you want to share them with somebody who hasn't played them, there's really no way to get them into it besides having more than one other person to introduce them to. Because if you're, if you're going to play a fighting game, if I want to teach you how to play, you know, uh, Persona 4 Arena or whatever, and I've been playing it a lot, you're not going to have a good time because I know all the combos and you don't. Yeah, I uh, I played a lot of uh, Mortal Kombat with my brothers growing up, and that was my life. Was, yeah. was my ass kicked. So yeah, that's so why I don't play Mortal Kombat. You gotta get a couple people into it, like have a, just like any board game. You know, I guess it's kind of the same with any competitive thing, though. Like a board, you know, I play if I played Words of Waterdeep with just one other person, and they don't know how to play, they're not gonna have as much fun because I know how to play and they don't, and they're gonna always feel like that is you know the reason yeah. why they didn't do as well. Yeah, maybe go into it with a group of people that that is new at the same time. Yeah, and... Like, if, if you can manage to do that, like, that would be awesome. And for, for building this game, that that's one of the things that I tried to cut back on, was I tried to reduce the number of possible, possible strategies into similar mm-hmm. themes, so that way it's kind of, you kind of pick up on it a little quicker on like, oh, what, what do cards interact with? How do you, how do these things work? What are combos like to try to try to help that, you know, I increase the number of cards you see a turn to, so that way you you don't get stuck there thinking, like, why am I doing any of this? None of this matters. I'm just putting things down to take new things to put new things down, which is just life. <laughs> okay. Though one other listener question that we just got, Brandon, Dr. Captain Kobold, from that other podcast. What do cards let you do versus a character sheet? Um, and I don't know if we explain the premise of this show to him poorly. Yeah, this, this I literally just two seconds before we started recording said, hey, I'm going to talk to Meg about fan art and fan games and card games. Or I didn't oh, say yeah. I didn't say card games. That's the thing. I just said games. Yes, this is not a role playing game. So yeah. uh, apples and oranges, my friend. Um but his question really isn't that different from the answers that we gave uh, to PK's question. Um, yeah. You know, the, the the way I was thinking about the theme in this, um, you know, style versus substance versus, you know, uh, mm-hmm. how much do I want this to feel like Dragon Ball versus how much do I want it to feel like a deck builder? Uh, I kind of tried to work that into my design and um, 
silly little things like, you know, the way you move your hands or the, like what you're doing with your cards. I tried to think about that. Uh, so it, it became, it, or at least to me as a Dragon Ball fan, it feels a little more like, or a little more than just putting things down to take new things, to put new things down. One thing we didn't talk about it, I was, I was tweeting about this today, I think. One of the things I tried to do, mostly because I knew nobody would play this game with me, was I came up with a solo variant for my game, which I tried to think of like how playing a bunch of cards would feel like re- kind of recreating an episode almost. Mm-hmm. So I, ha- I added like some additional mechanics to you set up a stack of bad guys and you have to play, you know, build a deck that defeats them in a certain amount of time or you lose the game. But this is probably more of a question for uh, like Jeff or um, Brandon and James probably know too, because they're all hacking stuff, but I, I can't think of, very many one-player RPGs um, that aren't, like, storytelling games. Uh, so that's one thing, I guess, an advantage of card games have are, you know, you can have the deck of cards do what you need it to do so that you can play alone. Okay. Yeah. Easier solitaire. Dragon Ball Z solitaire. Ugh. That probably <laughs> exists. Yeah, the last thing that I think I wanted to to talk about too was the the other reason that this is so much like that um that episode where I was talking to Richard about his his Mass Effect game is yeah, your cards are like you you did the layout and the design, but it is all show art. Like yes. this is not a thing that you can sell or put up anywhere. The legality of of making this in in any kind of massive scale uh is is bad 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 times. Um <laughs> Someone on the the Reddit post I had about it asked where they could buy it, and it just was like, <laughs> sweet summer child. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, and and we do not even need to have another lawyer episode to to tell <laughs> you that no. Um, but I mean, you can still share and share that idea, and like this is this kind of goes a little bit to when Brandon and I were talking with Taylor about like fan fan hacks of like fan games. Like, what what is that? What is what is that medium? What is that genre? <laughs> um, what, it's it's a huge gray area. Yeah. No. Oh no. Absolutely. Uh, I tried to Robin Hood it a little bit. Uh, I, I I made my own code when making the game. I refused to pull uh, images that were not very clearly screen grabs from the show. I would. I did not use any fan art in this game, even though I'm not going to be selling it or distributing it yeah. in any way. Um, I, I am, I did kind of like share the templates with people that wanted to go and buy it themselves and get in trouble. The, <laughs> like, I'm not going to make any profit off of them. No way. Don't, Funimation, don't, don't come after me. Also, are you hiring? I could make you a card game. Cryptozoic, hey, what's up? I think I talked a lot of shit, but like, I like your game. I made my own. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't use any fan art. I think there might be a little bit of I might have broken that code a little bit with the card back I picked. Uh, the more I look at it, like I thought it was a piece of, a, a piece of official art, it might not be. Um, yeah. So I feel kind of bad about that. But otherwise, everything else is somehow I can justify it to myself that like, okay, even though I'm I'm only losing money making this thing because it's, it's like I'm basically printing out something of you know no different than printing a picture to make a poster uh, that's like actually on an eight and a half by eleven that like every little kid did when they first saw DBZ. I, uh, like, it, it kind of works for me. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to lose any sleep over using screen grabs in the show in this. Uh, if I, if I had done it with all, like, uncredited fan art and stuff, I'd, I'd feel terrible. I would never do that. And then the, I guess the, the downside of that is some of the cards look pretty good. Others are, the, 
you know, there's pixelization, there's, you know, uh, artifacting and terrible, like, a lot of the things don't look great. But on the other hand, the Cartoon Network game just used screen grabs from the show and has the same visual errors on the stuff, so, like, whatever, fight me. It looks great. It it does. Um, and you said you you have it shared on Reddit somewhere. We can put that in the show notes. Uh, I, I no, I, I didn't share the the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. mostly because like I don't want to put this thing. Hey, I made this thing here. Go download it. It's here's the website yeah. for it because like that's yeah. gonna get shut down. Uh, I did. I just made like an imager album of like four like you know crappy phone pics of. Uh, the okay. card, the first draft, and I, I put up a little initial post about like, hey, here's what I did, and there's a little more explanation on how things work. Okay. Uh, so yeah, yeah we'll, I, we'll I can, link that I can, at least. I can give that to you for the link. Um, the DVZ yeah. subreddit is, as far as Reddits go, not so bad. Um, <laughs> mostly arguing about fan theories, so yeah. or what's canon and what's not canon. Ugh. So that should be fine. Cool. Is there anything else that you wanted to add about the game? Yes. The one thing. There was one other thing. Uh, that I, we didn't really, I was trying to find, I, I don't think we've, I was able to find a, a good intro point for this or a bouncing off point, jumping off point to get to this topic. But one of the, I think, one of the other problems that people and I, myself included in the, you know, I've been making games since I was 10, you know, and then never doing anything with them. Just any, any time I've been into something, I've tried to make a game for it. Mostly because if, if I'm, if this is the topic I'm super into right now, I'm I'm consuming the content, I'm watching the TV show, I'm reading the books or whatever, and then when I'm not doing that, I want I'm still thinking about it. So if, uh, why not spend my game time playing a game about it? And there's never any there's never any game on what I like, or and if I if I do find one, it's never any good. So you know, me being a stupid boy, I think I can make it on my own. But there's there's a really easy trap to fall into where you really like this character, or you think that this character is like the strongest. And that kind of sneaks its way into design and all of a sudden you have like a million broken cards centered on like a spirit bomb and like, well, cool, that's great. Like, sure, it's a super powerful move, but like it's not fun to use this card. Uh, I see it a lot in like around when Pokemon Go came out. I, I was looking into also taking, hacking apart the deck building engines and making a Pokemon hunting card game or whatever. Uh, and I looked up to see if anybody had done it. And of course they have. And, you know, the, the cards are all like crazy. The power levels and card, the cost distributions, they're all over the place because people want their favorite thing to be really good. But you have to sit there and you have to take a look, step back and look at how it would work as a game and realize that like Piccolo's just not going to be a good card, Dan. He can't be. <laughs> you know, you don't need to have 600 cell cards. Cell can have just a few. Um, <laughs> Vegeta needs a few cards, no matter how much you don't like him. So I try, I try to contain myself and like take a step back and look at this. Like if I was actually making a thing that was going to be sold, like how would you try to like satisfy getting enough representation of of the show, like capturing those like key moments or sagas, and not just focusing on like these are the things I like and the the cards I want to see and the pictures I like. So hopefully it worked. I don't know. I'll never know. I can't put this thing out there. <laughs> I, I think the most important question though, uh, that I didn't ask you yet. At any point in this game, can the power level get over 9,000? No. Okay. Why, Megan? Jeez. You're you're better than that. Where can people find you on the internet? (laughs) (laughs) You can find me on Twitter uh, at DanNRL. That's D-A-N-I-N-R-L. 
by the time this is out, this is probably going out this week. So next week, I'm aiming for for like a release date around the um, the 19th. Uh, I just edited a collection of micro games that uh, 14 people contributed to. If if you know who I am and you're listening to this episode because you're like, oh, I know Dan and Meg, you probably know most of the contributors. They're people from One Shot Fan Network or. Uh, some other podcasts that uh, I've heard of, but everybody that's contributing a game seems really great. The, I, I've read through all the games. They look like a lot of fun. I haven't had a chance to play them all. Um, but that that collection's uh, right now is, uh, I'm calling it two weeks because it was a two-week challenge to design your game. You, you only had two weeks to get it out. Got a good variety in there, and um, that's going to go up on DriveThruRPG, and all proceeds from it indefinitely will go to the ACLU. So awesome. if... Um, if we get it up in time before this release, probably won't. Uh, we can at least throw it up in the show notes, I guess. I'm gonna, I'm just making that decision for you now, I guess. Well, thanks. Yeah, it'll, they'll be in the notes or there'll be a link. Um, there will definitely be a link on the modifier Twitter when it goes up. Yeah. Uh, so, so check that out. Um, you can find my game, uh, The Bite on, on drive through cards, I think. I think it's also drive through RPG. I'm not sure where the actual link for finding that is. Um, yeah, we'll have a link to it. Yeah. It's probably the pinned tweet on my Twitter uh, after I take down the notice about this uh, microgame deadline. And um, I think that's it. Uh, you could go and try to dig up my uh, sordid history on BoardGameGeek as a pseudo-designer. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Yeah? Yeah. It was fun. Cool. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Thanks again to Dan for being on the show. And just everyone, please pray for me as more and more card games enter our home until I die. You can find Dan's info and info about the bite in the show notes and updates on the game anthology as soon as they're available will be on the Twitter. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast or at the headquarters at modifierpodcast.tumblr.com. You can send comments, questions, or contribution suggestions to modifierpodcast at gmail.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes as that helps more people find us. Modifier is a proud member of the One Shot Podcast Network, an amazing family of RPG podcasts that includes incredible shows like One Shot, Campaign, Backstory, and Talking Tabletop. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. <laughs>